Welcome to the Infinite Wells Podcast. Yo kids, this is Nick the Tooth, and today I am joined by my co-host and publisher of the Infinite Worlds magazine, Winston Ward. All right, Winston, what's going on, bro? I hope everything is going well. It has been a surreal, like, few weeks since we last talked. I just watched what was perhaps the most surreal sci-fi simulation thing I've ever seen, which was the debate. I almost thought <laughs> it was real. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. Are we in a simulation? <laughs> I think for sure. We are in a simulation. I am convinced of that we're in a simulation. After that debate performance, I am convinced that we're in a simulation for sure. Oh my gosh. But uh, but I tell you what, it, what it really reminded me of is an episode out of Heavy Metal, which is perfect because it is what we are talking about today. It's one of my favorite topics. We've got Heavy Metal, the magazine, and we've got Heavy Metal, the 1981 movie, and all the things that it has spawned throughout popular culture for the next 30, 40 years. Now, I'm really much looking forward to this episode a lot. I mean, Heavy Metal was a huge inspiration for uh, Infinite Worlds, the magazine. I grew up with this stuff too. I'm also just a fan of heavy metal music. So this all around is a cool topic for me to talk about. I'm really excited. Oh yeah, it's gonna be awesome. And I tell you what, man, I'm gonna post today, I'm gonna post something of me, cause you just realized that I play guitar and I play, uh, I played in metal bands, I was a lead guitar player. So I'm gonna post something for you and I'm gonna tag you on it. So you can check it Sweet. out. Sweet. Some, I, I like to reveal new things like every time we talk. So <laughs> let's get into it, brother. Let's get into it, man. All right. All right, bro. Buckle up. How's it going, dude? What are you up to, man? Oh, man. I've been so busy. I've been crazy, crazy busy. Let's start with you this time. I want to hear about your adventures and then we'll go to me. <laughs> you tell me what you've been up to. I am. Uh, let me see what I've been up to. We're back in uh, Orange County now and uh, in Newport cool. Beach, which is pretty freaking surreal because, you know, we just spent the last three, four months in the van all the way uh all the way up to the Canadian border, which... If you haven't been following the Infinite Worlds podcast up until now, Nick decked out a van and he and his wife basically have been living in it for the past, like, what, three months? Yeah, yeah. Driving all around the West Coast. If you don't follow him on Instagram, you should, because you can see all the cool updates and stuff. At Nick the Tooth at Instagram, and uh, it's been a crazy cool adventure, man. It's uh, it's one of those things where Winston, where we didn't know, you know, we had done the airstream before, but we didn't know if we would dig being in a van, and it's the greatest thing ever. But we don't have a house now. We don't have a place. We have a storage unit, and that's it. And so that that gets to be a little surreal, you know. It's like holy moly. Where you guys showering and that kind of thing? Well, when we're when we're in the van, we'll either go to we don't they call boondocking like when you're just like in the middle of the woods or in the desert or stealth camping is when you're just on a side street somewhere just kind of hiding out and uh, and spending the night there. But you know, being along the coast, we always go to like state beaches and state parks, and usually they have showers there, or we um, will stay at RV parks. 
So we'll just find like either hip camps, which are kind of like Airbnbs, or we'll find RV parks, you know, 30, 40 bucks a night. And so we'll just stay there. And so they usually have like a laundry room and things like that. But what we'll, we'll typically do is we'll go someplace and we'll find like really cool woods that we can camp in and we will boondock there and we'll do that for like two days. And then it's like, okay, we need some facilities, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It's become like a total routine where, you know, we pull up wherever we're going, you know, we'll drive. Like we typically, I don't like to drive like more than three, four hours just because I kind of want to see things, you know? Totally. Yeah, man. So we'll pull up and I'll get out all the gym equipment, all the, all the crap, you know, the, chairs the tables the fire pit and we'll just kind of make camp and and we'll try and do that for like three days two three days and that'll be like our new home and sometimes we'll just be showering just with a thing called a rinse kit and back which is like a five gallon thing that has it's like a shower and has a heating element and everything in it so that's awesome yeah dude it's not like it's hardcore camping i'm not down with that it's kind of like like splitting the difference sort of exactly that's really cool. I've been getting into camping and backpacking in the past couple of months myself. I can, I kind of feel where you're at a little bit there. You know, I can vibe with that some. Yeah, because you just left Atlanta, which is like horrific camping because it's so hot. Like mosquitoes everywhere and it rains every oh. goddamn day. Yeah. And, yeah, and Denver is great. Like I, I've backpacked several times now camped with my wife and it's been wow. it's been a real great change of pace for me man especially for you know my mental health and all that so oh my gosh right so so how when you guys go camping are you like in a tent are you like real camping usually when we go camping i i backpack so i have like an ultralight tent it sets up using my hiking poles and i just carry it in my backpack with that and my sleeping pad and you know my food and all that and i just walk out into the woods and just find a spot set the tent up sleep out there you know you know that i'm not real camping <laughs> honestly if we could take a van out there we would 100% do that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's cool. It, feel, it feels like an achievement when you do it. But really, the truth is, is that all that matters to me is just seeing the stuff, seeing yeah. Yeah. the trees, seeing the mountains, seeing the nature, seeing what earth has to offer. And, you know, whatever means are necessary to get there. You know, like I'm jealous of the van, truthfully. Like, I'd love to have that life. I'm in a loft in, in downtown Denver and it's it's awesome. I like it and everything, but it's constant People walking around, cars driving by and honking each other. Middle of the night, dudes ri- driving by on their motorcycles and revving their engines and everything. And it's it can tax on you, man. Because I what I really like is reading books, writing, and looking at trees and mountains and stuff. That's what the van offers is that. Right, you right. Know, I've got basically my library in there, you know, in my Kindle. And I've got a few hard books. And, but mainly my Kindle and I've got Wi-Fi. And I just park in the woods and write and play guitar and surf and yeah it's hard to complain i didn't know you played guitar oh you didn't want to play all right i'll post something on my instagram oh i'm a guitar sweet sweet i was i was was a kid i know but i just recently when i was building out the the van i i i found like an old vintage stratocaster that i had i I say vintage vintage is really like 1960 70 but this was like a night it was probably 25 years old guitar still i grew up playing guitar guitar and that's why I'm so into Hendrix and so I used to play lead guitar in bands and sing and you know all that shit. So you could so. play a guitar as well as Jimi Hendrix is what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I can <laughs> pretend. <laughs> but I can pretend that's what damn sure. And you know what dude that is one of the reasons I I honestly 
No shit. I think the reason that I picked up a guitar was because I, when I was 12 years old, I walked into a movie theater and I saw an animated film and it was, and it was a full on movie theater. I didn't know what the movie was. I think we had gone to see something like Indiana Jones or something like that and walked into another theater and dude, I walked in and there, there it was on this massive screen, this animated cartoon where I grew up watching cartoons, except there were hot chicks and there were heavy metal guitars playing. And I just, my mind was blown. And that was heavy metal, which is what we're talking about today. And it was because oh, of that man. music was so integral to that movie that, uh, that I was just like, I, I remember I got the soundtrack and once I got the soundtrack and Black Sabbath, it just opened my mind to everything. And I started playing guitar from there. Man, what a good tie-in. I love that. <laughs> it's true though, man. It's true. Let's roll with it. So today's subject, as Nick just said, is heavy metal. Heavy, not the, the genre of music, although I think we're both fans of that as well. But the magazine slash film franchise that inspired both of us in a lot of ways and definitely inspired infinite worlds magazine so we're going to talk about that today i hope you guys are super prepared because we are super prepared or you know marginally prepared you know for me it's it's such an interesting topic because it's such an emotion more of an emotional one than it is for me having this vast knowledge of heavy metal. Heavy metal was so integral to my adolescence and growing up that, you know, after I saw the film and I went back to that movie theater, dude, and I probably saw it in the theater like 10 times. I was just like, (laughs) I did not tell my mom what was in that movie. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go see Indiana Jones again. Parents aren't going to approve of the content of... No way. Drugs, sex, everything. When I first met... My wife, that was one of the first movies. I was like, you've never seen heavy metal? We're going to have to watch that. So yeah, I I feel you, man. When you first start dating somebody, you know how it is. You're like, which movies have you seen that are important to me and which ones have you not? You know, you try to convince your significant other to watch the films that are important to you. At least, you know, that's how my relationships go anyway. After I started watching, after I watched the movie 10 times, then going into the bookstore when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, of course, sci-fi section was always so radical for me because I just loved the covers, you know, the cover art on the books was so amazing. And then to find a magazine that featured everything that was in the movie and had just this incredible cover art. There was a bookstore not far from the house and I used to go up there every other day, just hang out in the bookstore check out heavy metal magazine, check out the books. And that is actually what led me to contact you. Because when I saw Infinite World's Instagram, it just flashed in my brain where I was like, oh my gosh, this is a a fellow lover of everything that I love about sci-fi. No, absolutely. Not only that, I've always just loved short stories. You know, I've always loved short sci-fi. There's no doubt that heavy metal was probably the most important influence on the creation of infinite worlds. I mean, a lot of other science fiction magazines as well, analog being a really important one for me and amazing stories and lots of other ones, but really heavy metal is the one that I probably model what I'm doing after them the most. And heavy metal bills themselves as the world's greatest illustrated magazine and uh, illustration. I think 
is just such an underrated thing in literature, you know, because most of these books, like, like you said, lots of people who are fans of science fiction see the book covers and it draws them in and a picture's worth a thousand words. Heavy metal was so smart. They said, you know what, man, let's make it illustrated really throughout. Let's not just put an illustration on the cover or an illustration at the beginning of every story or a couple of illustrations here and there. Let's make the whole thing illustrated. Let's put comics in there. Let's do the whole thing. And that really broke through and resonated with a lot of people, especially when it debuted in the 70s. Speaking of the debut, let's start with a little history. Let's let's uh, hit the brakes for a second and let's do a little history lesson on heavy metal and how it came to be. Okay, so, let's hear it because I need to hear this. Okay, so in 1974, Metal Orlant, which is the French... I, I, I suck at speaking French, so if I'm pronouncing this wrong, all of you French speakers out there, feel free to laugh at me leave comments and mock me. I do not profess to be a French speaker. Okay, so Metal Oulon was a French magazine that came out and it was founded in 1974 by Le Humanoid Associé. And that was four guys. That was Philippe Druyer, journalist Jean-Pierre Dionnet, the financier Bernard Farkas, and the king of all illustrators, Jean Mobius Girard. Okay, so these four guys basically started a collective where they decided they wanted to take their individual styles and preferences and create a magazine. And Metal or Law is what came up. And it was a science fiction and fantasy focused magazine. And it had an emphasis on surreal stuff and more mature stuff like sex and drug use and the kind of stuff that you really didn't find in science fiction magazines that existed up to that point, at least not mainstream ones. I mean, there were always underground magazines that were printed and stapled together and that kind of thing. But this was the first magazine with a budget. And it was started in France, and it really immediately took off. Like these guys really were successful right off the jump. And this is 1974. This is five years after the summer of love. The world was ready for free sex. The world was ready for drug use to be part of the conversation. And they took advantage of that. They were like, yeah, we're into that. Let's make that stuff mainstream. And the magazine initially featured work by a lot of European artists. Philippe Caza is one of the most popular and you know renowned ones. Inky Bilal and some American artists too. Bernie Wrightson, who's famous for his scary horror stuff, and Richard Corbin. I'm going to come back to Richard Corbin in just a minute. It also included collaborations with Mobius and American writer Dan O'Bannon, the comic The Long Tomorrow. And it also had Mobius and Alejandro Jodorowsky collaborations. And all these guys had met previous to this while attempting to adapt Frank Herbert's Dune for a movie. So in a way, Frank Herbert writing Dune led to heavy metal as we know it today. In a way. Uh, It's kind of a stretch, but Mobius working with Dan O'Bannon, creating The Long Tomorrow, working with Alejandro Jodorowsky happened because they were trying to adapt Dune. And the lineup of Metal Herlant might have been different had these guys not met each other. And who knows what would have been the result. Anyway, it's popular. It gets a German translation. America wants it. So the only magazine company in America that's going to have the chutzpah to uh, produce this magazine is National Lampoon, who had been kind of a seditious underground magazine, kind of a tongue-in-cheek magazine for quite a while at this point. But they were really thought of as being like a comedy magazine. And even though they were a little bit underground, they were still a mainstream magazine and they had to keep their stuff toned down a little ways. But National Lampoon buys the licensing rights and creates the English language version of Metal or Long, which is... Heavy metal. And that starts in 1977. And the early issues feature 
lots of European artists, but as time goes by, they decide that they're just not getting enough content. There just aren't enough European artists out there producing enough stuff. They want more content. So they start slowly veering towards American artists because they replace their editor with Ted White, who Ted White had revitalized Amazing Stories and he had revitalized Fantastic, a couple of other popular magazines at the time. So they brought him on board and he started hiring on artists like Jim Steranko and Walt Simonson and Walter Sudam and Gray Morrow. And these are big popular artists who kind of work in the comic book slash science fiction illustration overlap there a little bit. After that, the magazine sort of becomes what it is today. And, you know, I'll just leave the history lesson there for now. When did you start? It was right after the movie came out. And that was 1981. And so that was, I was so young, 12, 13 years old. And like I said, it was so mind blowing. If, If you haven't checked out the original heavy metal you can check out you can and i've subscribed to the new one i don't know if this is the right time to talk about it but the influences on the movie industry and science fiction that heavy metal that original heavy metal that imprint that it left i guess the best way to state it is that when they were talking about redoing the movie or doing like a reboot of the movie the director you're talking about heavy metal 2000 no no uh, i'm talking about them trying to do a recent one like 2020 oh so this is news to me I, i think it's okay to jump and not stay so linear on this because really the impact of heavy metal how important it was cannot be overstated when they were talking about redoing it the director who was going to do it was david fincher now david fincher huh. was like one of the wow. greatest directors that ever lived yeah so what his idea was hey let's do a brand new heavy metal because yeah they did the movie in 1981 and i think they did a sequel after that yeah i've watched it i've watched everyone and they were everyone after 81 was just dog shit. It was terrible. Yeah, totally. 100%. But David Fincher, because it had such an impact, that original movie, and because the magazine had such an impact on him, he signed on. He was like, I want to be a part of this. This was such an integral part of my adolescence and my growing up. So when he decided that he was going to do it, he brought on other directors that were going to help produce it and were going to do short stories. Because remember, the movie from 81 is like an anthology. It's just like the magazine. Right. Right. And so the idea was, let's redo this movie. So you had David Fincher was going to be involved with doing short stories. You had James Cameron, who was so blown away by heavy metal when he was younger. Yeah. James Cameron. These are two of the greatest directors. Zack Snyder, one of the greatest directors. Yeah. But that project, we'll talk about that afterwards and what happened, but that kind of lapsed. But I think right now that Robert Rodriguez, the director of- Oh man, that would be a perfect choice. He owns the rights now to heavy metal. We'll get into what happened to the David Fincher project. Let's talk about the original movie first. I have watched this movie at least 200 times, (laughs) if not more. I probably watched heavy metal more than I've watched any movie ever. It's an anthology story that is bound together by this, I was looking at your notes, by a MacGuffin, which is something that everybody is kind of seeking. The MacGuffin in in heavy metal is a green orb. It's like a meteor 
that takes almost different shapes. Sometimes it'll be a mm -hmm. meteor, sometimes it's a little marble, but this thing is integral to every story within. And it's really the personification almost of evil. Right. And it incites lust and hate and greed in people. In some worlds, I am worshipped as God. And the movie starts with a car, a convertible, what, like Corvette, that's in outer space. And there's an astronaut that comes down and he lands and goes to his house and he goes and sees his daughter. But the image of that car in outer space is what inspired Elon Musk to freaking send a car, wasn't it a convertible Tesla, into outer space, right? And so, yep, yep, absolutely. This, this movie permeates the more you look into it, it's almost something that is just surreal because it's everywhere you look, its tendrils are there from Elon Musk to James totally. Turner to David Fincher to freaking Zack Snyder. For me, the biggest inspiration for my book series that I'm writing, Arc Zero, is heavy metal without question. But, anyway, so the movie starts with this car, it's really surreal, and this astronaut comes down. And he goes and he visits his daughter and he gives her this green like meteor or whatever you want to call it. And they're in this like mansion and she is like a central character. And this like entity that is involved or is part of this green sphere tells her a story, its own story about how it has traveled throughout the universe. Yeah, that's sort of the bookend of the movie. It keeps coming back to this orb. Yes. The Lochnar is telling this little girl the story and explaining mm -hmm. basically its essence, itself, its plans and all that. And the whole time she's cowering in fear away from this thing. Here's what's crazy, dude. I've been talking to my tattoo artist because I'm gonna, I got to finish my sleeve on my arm. And I've been like, man, I'm going to get this or I'm going to get that. I haven't known what I'm going to do. I'm going to fucking get the Lochnar. That's a great idea. Isn't that dope? I think what I'm going to do is get the Lochnar. There's this scene in the movie where there's a hand gripping the Lochnar because, you know, it's like, like I said, it's all about greed. And there was a hand, the guy was gripping it so hard, but yet his hand got ripped off and there's blood. So it's like been amputated, <laughs> but it's still clutching the Lochnar. I think maybe I'll get that. My wife's going to kill me. <laughs> I've made her watch heavy <laughs> metal like 2,000 times. <laughs> Anyways, so the movie, it's all about the Lochnar, right? And this, this entity within this orb. And we go through like different stories. And I think the first story, it was the one that inspired the fifth element, right? With the taxi driver. Absolutely. That, that story is called Harry Canyon. And it's very interestingly based on the Long Tomorrow stories by Mobius and Dan O'Bannon. So oh, I didn't know that. And yet another connection, Mobius and Dan O'Bannon meeting uh, on the production of the failed Yodorowsky Dune movie led eventually to The Fifth Element being made. With Luke Busson, right? Busson made that movie, yes. He's a big fan of Mobius's. So, and Mobius actually worked very briefly on Fifth Element as a uh, like an art director, very briefly, but then they had some falling out of some kind. Oh, wow. Wow, I didn't know that. So, yeah. So, again, Fifth Element, one of the greatest sci-fi movies that's ever been made. I remember when I walked in there to that movie, and the first three minutes, I was like, oh, my gosh, this thing is based on heavy metal. I can't believe it. What's oh, yeah. going on here? You know? And that's a cool short story because it's very noir, right? 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so cool how they were able to integrate, just like the magazine, completely different tonal elements of stories, but make them all work because of this through line of the Lochnar. Right. I think there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine interconnected short stories in the thing, all all of which feature the Lochnar. Oh my gosh. Most of them were based on existing material from the magazine, but some of them were new. You know, there's nine. I'm not going to go through every one, but my favorite one, and, and what's, what's really cool, and I'll give you the bookend on for the whole movie, is that the little girl that the Lochnar is telling the story to, she actually becomes like the, the, the warrior, warrior S. She's like the badass of the movie. So it's kind of, in, in some senses, you know, there's a lot of sexuality and you could say objectification of women, but there's also nudity with, with men. But she's also the hero of the movie. She's a badass. Yeah. Right? Tarna is the character's name. So she's a little girl at the beginning and at the end, you know, we realize that she's the hero. She's the one who saves the universe, basically. It is Tarna of the blood of Tarak the Defender, the last of the race, and must be summoned as my forefathers summoned Tarak himself from within. But will this Defender answer? A Tarakian has no choice. They must answer. It is in their blood. Again, very much like Sarah Connor, right? From uh, from Terminator. Yes. Um, and so, but anyways, my favorite and inspiration for my entire book series is the one where the, there's a young, goofy kid, clumsy kid, mm-hmm. who oh, yeah. uh, who finds the Lochnar outside of his house, and he's like a nerdy, you know, kid. And he like does like a science experiment, kind of like a, a Thomas Jefferson. It was Thomas Jefferson, right? With the lightning and the kite. And he does this science experiment with the Lochner. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. That's right. Yeah. I don't know my science that well. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Benjamin Franklin, he does a Benjamin Franklin and he's doing a science experiment with this like rock, this orb that he found behind his house. And it sends him to another dimension And he goes from being this goofy ass kid to being kind of where he's the same personality, but he's in this hero's body where he's like muscular and big. He's got a big dong. He like he becomes the hero of like this Dungeons and Dragons type fantastical story. But let me uh, let me interject here. Okay. Okay. So I'm super glad that you mentioned this as your favorite because I said earlier that I would come back to Richard Corbin. The story you're talking about is based on the Den series, D-E-N, by Richard Corbin. And that's the character's name. The voice of the character in the movie is played by John Candy, who does a fantastic job voicing this character, this nerd. It all started when I found the green meteorite. I read in Faraday's Life of the Planets that smaller ones like this are supposed to burn up when they enter the atmosphere. But for some reason, this one didn't. So I brought it up to my room, stuck it in my rock collection, and forgot about it. I was experimenting with natural electricity, and with the storm warnings up, I figured maybe tonight I'd hit the jackpot. All I needed was a little juice. Oh, my God. A lot of you millennials won't know who John Candy is. Just watch... I don't know, Spaceballs. I'm trying to think of some other great ones. He's in tons of tons of great movies. He killed it, didn't he? He was the best voice oh, he, in the whole thing. He absolutely movie. crushes it as this this kid who and it's you know, it's a male power fantasy type storyline, and that's what Den is, but it's also kind of tongue-in-cheek where 
Richard Corbin realizes that this character is that, and he knows that. And, you know, he's really playing into the idea of adolescent power fantasies. But one of the real reasons I wanted to come back to Richard Corbin is because today is Richard Corbin's 80th birthday, the day we are recording this podcast. Wow. I posted about him today on the Infinite Worlds Instagram page. It's third year in a row I've gotten an opportunity to post about him. And Richard Corbin, his den stories appeared in the very first Heavy Metal magazine. And they he still contributes to Heavy Metal today. He's still a contributor to, of Heavy Metal. I know this because I follow Heavy Metal on Instagram, of course. And they said that in their tribute post to him today. So how great is it? that we can put a little connector on this because I agree besides the Tarna story, which I think is my personal favorite or yeah, probably Tarna is my favorite just because I do think when you said earlier that there's a little bit of a, a sexism, exploitation, objectification kind of thing going on in heavy metal. I think I'm going to come back to this a little bit too, but I do think that is the fault of heavy metal magazine. Listen, heavy metal guys, if you're listening to this, I love it. I love the magazine. I absolutely do. And I can't fault people for the things they did in 1980 or whatever, having the privilege of looking back at it through the lens of the hashtag Me Too movement. You know, I can't be like, oh, look at these assholes, you know, objectifying women in 1980, because that's just not fair. It's just not fair. You know what I mean? They didn't have the ability to look into the future and to see how things would change and how culture would develop. And in the end, you're right. Even though there is the male power fantasy and heavy metal's trademark is having girls scantily clad women on their cover, you know, holding a sword. Uh, that has been on the cover of the magazine. Probably They have 300 issues. It's probably been on the cover 225 times. But you know what? More power to them. I, you know, that's the pinup thing is totally, you know, it's got its own fan base. It's got its own thing. And lots of women like that, too. Uh, you know, in, in fairness, uh, it, uh, the Tarma story is a little bit different because she's exactly, fleshed out. Exactly. She's fleshed out. She is a female fantasy because she's smart. She's strong. She's bad. Yeah. And she cuts the heads off of like every dude that messes with her. Yes. She's a badass. Yeah. And, and you're right. That's although heavy metal does play into that sort of adolescent trope, male fantasy, that kind of thing. You're right. It does give women swords. It does give them armor. It gives them the ability to cut dudes' heads off. And I think that's really important. I actually think for the time, that's kind of a progressive thing. And let's be honest here. I'm going to be entirely honest. I'm looking at the lineup of the heavy metal, the, the creators of the heavy metal film, and not one woman helped create this film. There's not a single woman who wrote or directed a single part of this movie. There are female actors in the movie, but that's as far as it goes. And over the history of heavy metal, like I said, they've had 300 issues. They might have had 20 covers drawn by women over their entire history as a magazine. I, I might be a little being a little unfair, but it's a it's less than 10 percent for sure. But even though that's all true, I do think in the end they do want to empower the women. They're simultaneously objectifying. Well, yeah. Look at Tarna's story. Do you remember when like guys try and pick up on her at the and try and sexually harass her in that bar? Yeah, exactly. Last she scene. just destroys them. Fucking yeah, she kills every single one of them. And it's like, oh shit, you don't want to screw with her. And like you say, 
the little girl who's being terrorized by the Loch Nahr throughout the movie ends up being the heroine who saves the day. And in the end, I think that's really the takeaway you've got to get from the story. Even though it was a bunch of guys, they wrote that. They wanted it to end that way. Then the badass male character in the movie could have saved the day, but they didn't write it that way. They wanted Tarna to- He actually was like, you know what? I'm going to go get in a van and go cruise around and chill. I don't want anything to do with saving the universe. (laughs) Yeah, because he's immature. Exactly. Even though Den gets all of those powers- He remains a little boy at heart, but Tarna, when she develops all the powers, changes. She becomes a real heroine, and she's not just wielding her power just willy-nilly like Din is. She's taking on the mantle of the heroine, and uh, progressive is not maybe the right word, but progressive by 1981 standards, probably so. There were very few heroines in science fiction at, at that point. You have to think that that was an inspiration for James Cameron for Terminator. Absolutely. I wasn't aware that James Cameron was signed on to this movie that you were mentioning earlier, but knowing that now, there's no way in my mind that, oh, you know what's really funny is Dan O'Bannon wrote Alien, and that stars Ripley, who's my favorite heroine of all time, and James Cameron directed the Alien sequel and made Ripley even more badass. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It all kind of ties together. And even though these guys were a dozen white dudes, I don't feel too guilty about enjoying heavy metal just because I do think behind the veneer of sexism, there is a progressive undertone. And it's been there since the beginning, in my opinion. Yeah. It's something that is as influential as this is definitely multi-layered. And so there, it's not just surface level. Every People were so influenced by this because, like I said, especially the movie, you know, with the music, the music was unbelievable. Sammy Hagar, Black Sabbath, it's, it's so, Devo was on it. Blue Oyster Cult. Nazareth, Journey, Grand Funk Railroad. Most of the stuff I wouldn't really classify as heavy metal. Of course, what was considered heavy metal in 1981 and what's considered heavy metal now are very different. Very different. But Black Sabbath is on there, and I don't think anybody will argue that they're a heavy metal band. Dude, I listened to that soundtrack. I would go to sleep with that sound. I had had an eight track. And I had like a portable agent. And I would listen <laughs> You're to aging that. yourself, buddy. You're- oh, yeah, totally, man. I wish I still had the damn thing. Can you imagine how much it'd be worth? I would listen to that thing. On Rolling TV. around in your van, listening to the 8-track. <laughs> <laughs> heavy, heavy, heavy metal soundtrack. Oh, my gosh. That that's so that's living the dream, dude. That is living dude, the dream. You are not kidding, man. No doubt. No doubt. Even though... I don't really consider most of this music on, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody ever thought open arms by journey was a heavy metal song or Stevie Nicks is heavy metal or cheat trick is heavy metal. They tried to do it again in the heavy metal 2000 movie. And the music is monster magnet, the insane clown posse machine head, although machine head's pretty heavy. I I really feel like they, they missed it. They just missed it. It was terrible. And those bands were great. I mean, the thing about the soundtrack, it's not that it was heavy metal. That's not what it was. Right. It just perfectly fit every story. Perfectly fit emotionally. The songs were great and they fit every story. It just felt like adventure. And I think that's what this movie has. What they really wanted to do was sell the idea of adventure. And they did a great job of that. The movie is just so 
out there. It gives you such a feeling of like adventure, fun. Fun is a really good word for it too. That is the thing I like most about heavy metal. The magazine, the movie, all of it is that it's so much goddamn fun. It is just so much fun. And the art is beautiful. The stories are entertaining. It just makes you feel like you're having fun. And you know what's really crazy, Winston, is that it's fun without really having rules. And the magazine I'm talking about, because it's like Mm -hmm. sometimes they would have like one issue, they would have a story and it would say to be continued. And it was never continued. I would go back and I would be like, what the hell is going on? It was never continued, but then I'd just start reading another one and yeah, it was crazy. As a publisher, I could tell you that is a problem you could run into, man. You could hire on an artist or a creative team to put something together for you and then they break up, they stop working, they decide they don't want to do a sequel, they move on to other things. It's kind of out of your hands, you know, as the publisher. You can't make it yourself. That's crazy. Those kinds of things happen. That's why I'm really hesitant to serialize stories in infinite worlds is because I just am afraid of leaving loose ends. But it's it adds to it though, man. Yeah, hearing you talk about it now makes me feel like, you know what, screw it. Loose ends are fine. Yeah, who cares? You know what else was cool about the magazine is that you would you would read like uh, there would be a story about like it would have a certain tone. For me, story is all about tone. But it would have you would have like a noir mm-hmm. element to it, to the tone and the art and the way it was written and the story. Like Harry Canyon. Yes, like Harry Canyon. And the next story would be completely where it made no sense. You're sitting there mm-hmm. reading it going, I don't like Mobius. I, I just never understood it, but I loved it. But I was just like, what the fuck is going on? His stories are super surreal, man. You can't read the end call and be like, oh, I get it. I mean, nobody can. <laughs> Another little quick note here is that the cover of Heavy Metal features the character Tarna on the beast that is basically Mobius's creature from his Arzak stories, which he began in the first Metal or Launch. It was also in the first Heavy Metal as well. So that creature, that fat flying dinosaur with like a beak was created by him. And it's the movie, even though Heavy Metal at this point had kind of lost its connection, the, the magazine had basically very little connection with the original Metal Herlong. They still threw that in as sort of like a tribute to Mobius. And the story Tarna is based loosely on the Arzak story that he wrote. Although there's not really much of a story to Arzak. I don't think there are any words, actually. It's just the character flying around looking at stuff. Infinite Worlds on our uh, Instagram page, we do Mobius Monday. I didn't invent Mobius Monday, but I just participate in it. And it's basically reposting Jean Girard's art. And, you know, he's got a huge, 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 huge following. But as of 1981, he did not. You know what I mean? He wasn't world renowned at that point. But it's still really cool that they threw that tribute to him into the movie and put it on the cover and everything. It really lets you know that they knew where their roots were, where they needed to tip their hat. I love that. And I and I love the fact that the stories were so disparate and some of them never wrapped up. And mm-hmm. some of them, it kind of, for me, it changed my brain in the sense that my expectations for story, I never, I didn't after that need a Hollywood ending for anything. Because I was like, well, it's my favorite magazine. One of my favorite things in the world is saying, fuck the Hollywood ending. I I hate Hollywood endings. I can't stand formulaic things. And that's one of the things I like about science fiction is often science fiction doesn't really care so much about the Hollywood version of stories. Like the, the easy to digest, 
three act predictable character arc good guy wins in the end guy gets girl formula and that's one thing that you're absolutely right this movie and lots and lots of the content of heavy metal magazine don't care about that at all it doesn't even come into the picture it's just so it's just way too concerned with being surreal and being creative you know and that really is what it comes down to is just the creativity of heavy metal, the creativity of the creators of the magazine, but both the metal or creators and the American creators, the Angus McKees, the Dan O'Bannons, the Bernie Wrightsons, all those guys are just so, so, so creative that you just get swept up. The story having a satisfactory ending stops mattering just because you're so enchanted by this creative story that you're being told. It doesn't matter if it has like a, and that wraps it up kind of thing. You know what I mean? No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Anyways, it's the, the, the movie is something I think that people have to have to see it's available. It's out there. I think you can rent it on Amazon. I don't know if it's streaming for free. Yeah. Pretty sure you can get it on Amazon. Yeah. It's so freaking good. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen, make sure you watch the 81 version. Don't watch heavy metal 2000. It's not, it's not good. My, um, order fulfillment person slash partner told me today about how much he actually liked heavy metal 2000. Because he, uh, I mean, there. Are, see, the thing is, that the thing about Heavy Metal 2000 is it does have creative contributors too. It's just so, it, it really does fall flat when compared to the original. It's just 100%. And I haven't seen it in years. I haven't seen it in probably 10 years or 12 years. But it's got Simon Bisley and Kevin Eastman who created the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's got some really cool people involved in it. He ended up buying it. I think he took that money that Ninja Turtle money and he bought heavy metal. Is that right? And he owned the license to it. Yeah. Yeah. He bought the rights to it and, and then he was involved in it and it was terrible. And then after that, I think he sold it. If I'm not mistaken, I think Kevin Eastman is the current editor of the magazine. Although I could be wrong about that. If you want to talk about what happened since it was recently, I think 2016 or 17, it was relaunched. And Grant Morrison was brought in as the editor. He might be the publisher, but Grant Morrison, who is a god, a complete god in the comic world. Right. He did The Invincibles, which is my favorite freaking comic ever, which was really the prototype for The Matrix. He relaunched it, and it's been great ever since then. I've subscribed to it. My buddy Duncan Trussell actually contributed a series that was to be continued and never was. So, you know, it's it's still going in that same tradition, but the new magazine is amazing. So I really encourage people to go out there and uh, pick up a copy. And to wrap this up, the magazine since has been revived. So under Grant Morrison's tenure, and it's amazing. I'll speak to that. For the first time since the 80s, they're a monthly magazine again. They just announced that on Instagram. So you guys go buy heavy metal, man. Go support them. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. My favorite magazines, Infinite Worlds and freaking heavy metal right now. So I'm sweet. You know, who would think that print publication would be so alive and well, but it's, it's almost like a boutique thing, like craft beer. Yeah, that's exactly how I try to treat it is, you know, I'm trying to get a distribution deal right now. But even if I don't, I like the idea of being limited edition. I hand number every single issue of Infinite Worlds at this point, And I know that's something that any other magazine can't possibly say. There's no way. No, it's I'm so proud to be a part of Infinite Worlds because it, I love everything craft and boutique. And so that's just the way the world is now. And so it's one of those curated things and hats off to you, man. I love it. 
you're a big part of it. So, you know, don't, don't take your <laughs> role in this, you know, for granted, obviously. You're one of the voices of the magazine. I love it. Okay. But wait a minute, dude. It gets even better. Okay. So I spoke to the fact that David Fincher was reviving. Oh, yeah. Metal, right. 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 So right. David Fincher for 10 years tried to revive heavy metal. And, you know, in Hollywood, there's this thing called development hell where after a while, mm-hmm. it just things just die because you take meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And so eventually, my understanding is he just lost the rights to the name heavy metal, but was so passionate about the inspiration for on him of what heavy metal, that movie and the magazine was, that he kept taking meetings. And he finally had a meeting with Netflix. And he said, listen, I have this idea. Let's do the new heavy metal. And they're like, but you don't have the name heavy metal. He's like, we don't need the name heavy metal. It's still heavy metal lives on in the DNA of what I want to do. And they're like, okay, here's a check. And that show, that series is out now. It's called Death, Love, and Robots. And that is the new iteration of heavy metal. Love, Death, and Robots? Death, Love, and Robots. It is amazing. If you haven't seen it, I have seen Love, Death, and Robots like 20 times. And it is, you will, when you watch it, Winston, you haven't seen it yet? I have. I have watched it. Yeah, I have watched it. Oh, then you know. It's got the DNA of heavy metal throughout. Anthology of short stories, sex, drugs. Yeah, yep, and it's kind of slightly different style. Very adult. Mm-hmm. Very adult. And uh, he just, it, it was different because he farmed it out to different animation studios around the world and where they came up with different stories or they based them on existing short stories. I think most of them were. But it was the same thing. It was, and it just right. what an right, right, amazing right. freaking production. I love it. You get- That's the great thing about this is that you know this continues to live on. You can check out the, the the magazine, which is in pristine form once again, and you know the DNA at least in uh, Love, Death, and Robot. Awesome. All right, cool. I enjoyed the Love, Death, and Robot series. Not every segment was a hit for me, but several of them were. That's kind of how I feel about. Heavy Metal Magazine as well. You know, I mean, it's just when you got so much content, not every part is going to be amazing, but you just have to take it as a whole instead of part by part. I think that's a great point because I feel the same way about the magazine and the movie. Like there was the movie, the one right. with the, the World War II zombie. I didn't, I yeah. didn't like that one. I always skip past that. It's sort of an out of place one because it's like historical all of a sudden. I was going to bring that up earlier when we were talking about like how they are all so different. Sometimes they don't even seem like they connect, but I think that one's called B-17. It's a World War II B-17 bomber and it gets attacked by skeleton zombies or something like that. It's cool. It's interesting, but it really doesn't fit with the rest of it. That's kind of the way heavy metal does. You know what I mean? If you're just throwing a lot of stuff out, you just got to see what sticks. As a magazine editor, I completely understand how that works. You can't always know everything's going to work. Different strokes, right? Absolutely. Some people might be like, that was my favorite one. Exactly. No hate, man. Dan O'Bannon wrote that and he's one of my favorite writers ever. How am I going to hate on Dan O'Bannon's stuff? But I agree with you. There are a couple that feel a little bit like, really, this one? And that's one of them. Even though it looks super cool, it just doesn't seem like it fits as much to me. All right. Well, dude, I'm so glad we got to talk about this, man. My favorite subject. Uh, Yeah, definitely one of my favorites too. You know, I think it's been a long time coming, tipping the hat towards them, considering what I'm doing, what you're doing. I think it makes a lot of sense. If any of you guys at Heavy Metal hear this, we love you guys. Love what you're doing. Even though it's been through so many things, I could tell there's still a labor of love going on there. And that's what we've got going on on this side too. So 
virtual handshake. So rad. All right. Well, I tell you what, brother, I'm hoping in the next few weeks to get out to Colorado and see you check out this. Hell yeah, dude. So I'll be bringing the van out West, man. Get some pictures together so we can show all the fans. Oh, it'd be so cool, man. We'll film a little bit too. It'll be great, man. Yeah, totally. Can't wait. All right, brother. Awesome. All right. See you next time.